Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. In the first segment of today's program, Saving Oak Flat, a culturally active and sacred site to many Native American nations throughout the Arizona region, the site is under threat with plans to construct one of the largest open copper ore pits in the world. We'll speak with two members of the Apache Stronghold on the Spiritual Convoy to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is happening March 21st in Pasadena, California. And in the second segment of today's program, part two of our two-part interview with Kevin McKernan on the 50th anniversary of the occupation of Wounded Knee. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines the lone fool elk in the black of the night You can hear, you can hear The whisper in the valley mm-hmm. And you know When come a honey blows To the bar who drum It's the warriors who are marching mm-hmm. Down the mountain mm-hmm. Because history ain't no mystery In the first segment of today's program here on American Indian Airwaves, I have the honor and pleasure to speak with Leanne Bighorse and Vanessa Nosi of the Apache Stronghold on protecting Oak Flat, a culturally active and sacred site to many Native American nations throughout the Arizona region. The Apache Stronghold with indigenous allies and U.S. and international supporters have been tirelessly working to stop a nearly eight-year-long process to exchange Oak Flat, a 2,200-acre site in Tonto National Forest, to Resolution Copper, a subsidiary of Rio Tinto and BHP, which plans to construct one of the largest copper and ore mining pits in the world. The mining project would not only and permanently destroy the active cultural and sacred site that would result in compounded and contributory forms of genocide towards many Native American nations, but once the project is completed, it would leave a 1,000-foot deep crater over two miles across and use enough water to supply a city of 140,000 annually for its estimated life. In 2015, when the United States Congress passed the annual National Defense Authorization Act, it included a rider titled the Southeastern Arizona Land Exchange and Conservation Act of 2014. It authorized the United States Forests to exchange lands to Resolution Copper, And since 2015, the Apache Stronghold, along with allies, have been at the forefront trying to stop the land exchange, including legally challenging the U.S. government. We begin today's interview with Leanne Bighorse and Vanessa Nosy of the Apache Stronghold on the Spiritual Convoy to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which concludes on the court date of March 21st of 2023 in Pasadena, California, where the court could rule that the Oak Flat Land Exchange is illegal 
and prevent the proposed construction of the mind. And now the Apache Stronghold Spiritual Convoy to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals here on American Indian Airwaves. Well, let me let me kind of just start you from um, the beginning of our journey. Is uh, we began in um, in Oak Flat. Everything that we do is about prayer, and this is a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual convoy. So we begin in prayer, um, and we we're praying. You know all the different territories that we're coming through with all the different people that we're greeted by and hosted by. So we started out in Oak Flat on Saturday, um, and then we, we journeyed to Katona Autumn, and there in um, Tucson, in the Tucson area, that's their, their homeland there. And uh, we, we met for prayers and songs, and um, they prayed with us, they prayed for us. And then we, that evening, which was Sunday evening, we uh, met with the Southside Presbyterian Church, um, and they gathered a bunch of uh, different faith leaders from the community to, to come through. We were with the Mennonites, um, all different congregations, and I believe um, there was about six faith leaders that came together and, and prayed with us, and that was very powerful to be with that community. And then they also hosted us. Um, fed us a great meal, and then um, we started our journey towards the Phoenix area, the still all Autumn territory, um, but this is uh, more of the Alkmaal Autumn, mm. the river people. So we made our ways to the Autumn territory. We met with um, a group of veterans that stand with us, mm. and they prayed with us there uh, in the Chandler area, and then we met with the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian community, and, you know, really talked about Oak Flat, the environment, and um, what devastation is coming, um, the use of the water, the, the um, air quality, you know, all those factors are a part of this. And then we journeyed on towards the Gila River community, and we, we ate with the Peeposh, and, and they um, shared songs and a fire and a meal, and um, really just made us feel welcome and at home, and they prayed with us. And then... Uh, we were with the Xavier College Prep in downtown Phoenix uh, and Brophy uh, College Prep. They're both um, uh, religious schools, and, and we were welcomed by the, the youth there. And, um, you know, they prayed with us, and it, it was um, wonderful to see all the young people that are taking a stand and understanding the importance of the future and the environment. And then we made our way down into the Quachong Territory, um, and, you know, we're going to continue our journey into California and, and meet with the Morongo and all the different tribes on our way until we get to the L.A. area um, where the L.A. Um, uh, different leaders there, um, we're, we're excited to, to get there and, and pray with them. So that's the gist of, of our path on this convoy. Um, to the Ninth Circuit Court. We have the um, hearing on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. We do have a live stream link that I can send your way. That way um, you can actually hear the court case. It's really important that you mm. hear the court case um, because you'll be able to tune in live and, and see what the United States government is, their words on, on religious freedom that affects all of us. Hello, thank you for that. The last time we spoke, you and Vanessa were on your journey up to the Bay Area in California for a court hearing 
And now uh, this uh, March 21st of 2023, uh, the convoy ends in Pasadena, California for the at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And so for our listeners, I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through the legal history, if you will, and, and why this spiritual journey that you're on right now to Pasadena, California is so important. Okay, well, this is Vanessa. I can touch uh, base on this one. You know, this fight has been going on for over 20 years. And um, now we're at this final point where our religion is on trial. Mm. And that's the, the logist of it. That is like this holy place where we have, where our creation stories come from and our identity and our spirituality is tied to this land and to our direct connection with God. Yulson, the creator, is it is uh, being threatened, you know, um, and I jumble with my words because it's hard to say it and and hear it because for the Apache people, if Oak Flat is destroyed, that means that we're going to be gone forever because the essence of who we are and the spirituality of what the blessed gift God gave us will be gone forever. But that doesn't only affect the Apache people, it affects all people. Because if the indigenous people's religion as as state, so is everyone else. No one is protected. You know, especially with this government that we have, it's a corporate government. It's its priority is to make profit, not for the people. And so, you know, if our religion is at stake, so is everyone else's. And if our natural resources of the land is continue to be extracted, then we will have nothing left, nothing livable left for our future generations to come. So this court case is a huge, a huge um, moment for not just Indian country, but for all people. And why I say that is because you're going to hear the truth of how America was founded and how they really think about the indigenous people, but also all people because they didn't reinvent the wheel on, on militarism and the social injustice and environmental injustice and the religious injustice because they just did what they're doing to the indigenous people. They're doing it to all people. And so this is a true uh, case that, you know, one is you're going to see that this defeat and how what happened when the colonization came in, when the settlers came in, what happened to the indigenous people, and how the United States still carries that forward in present day into the future because nothing has changed. If we win this case, then there's actually hope for the future because that means that they do recognize the first people of this country here in this United States and on our indigenous land. They will acknowledge our religion does exist. That's a part of healing because for far too long, we have been thrown underneath the carpet like we do not exist. But if it's so easy for them to do that to us for over profit and greed of a foreign mining company that they're, that that the copper that they're going to ex- extract doesn't stay here in the United States and is going to China, that means everybody is at risk. Nobody is safe, no matter what religion and what race you come from. So that's why this is really important in this case. It's that essence of... of the truth and the ugly lies that were were told to all people 
you know, and, and we are at the forefront protecting our spirituality, and that and that means but if we're we have to protect ours and it goes our way, we're protecting everybody else's way of life, and then we're protecting Mother Earth, Nuggle Sun, the water, so that those future generations have a right to to live and to breathe and to have a a future of uh, of not of devastation because that's the direction we're heading. But with this ninth, ninth, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court appeal, what's really amazing about it, on top of this whole fight, is that only 0.05% do the judges ever call back a court a case. Mm. And so what happened was when we got our uh, the judgment from the first Ninth, ninth Circuit uh, Court hearing, we grouped together, of course, you know, we were hoping it would go our way. We always have hope. That's the thing, is we always have hope. And we, and for some reason, we're always being failed by the system, you know. But when we got together and my dad said, we have that one arrow left. And my dad said, we need to all come together and shoot that at the, and shoot it. But we need to hit the target. And we only have one chance left and we're going to the Supreme Court. And so that was our decision. We were headed to the Supreme Court. We, it wasn't until, for whatever reason, that this judge felt it in their heart and saw that they didn't like the judgment that came out of um, that first Ninth Circuit court hearing and asked the judges, all the, the um, Ninth Circuit and Bunk uh, judges, to, hear the, to review the case again. So we submitted our briefing, United States submitted their briefing, and then we got the majority voted that, okay, we do need to come back and see this. We do need to re-look at this case and really, you know, uh, make it a, a point to, to go over it again. And so, one, never, and there's never been an indigenous fight go this far where a judge and, all the, and the majority of judges called it back. And so, you know, we were, we cried because we're not asking, what we're trying to do is hit the, the people's conscience, hit their spirit, hit, hit their hearts because we're fighting for everyone. We're fighting for humanity. We're fighting for Mother Earth. You know, we're looking at seven generations ahead. That's what we're taught as indigenous people. But we include all people. And so... You know, when we got the news that, okay, the Ninth Circuit Court is, is calling us back, I mean, we're filled again with hope. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Leanne Bighorse and Vanessa Nosi on the Apache Stronghold Spiritual Convoy to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to protect Oak Flat. And now back to the interview. You know, that, that there is a possible possibility that things can change and um, there is a brighter future down the head, down the road, and so um, that's what was really, you know, uh, amazing about about this new of, of um, hearing on appeals of uh, of our case. And um, yeah, that's where we're at now. You know, with the nice with the spiritual convoy, you know, we're going back to the old ways. We're trying to do it right because we're in a spiritual battle. What we're fighting is evil. And, and it's in a formation of not a human, but of corporate corporations and, and the vision of power and greed. And that's what was prophesied to us. So we're going 
touching at, you know, different tribes, seeing different tribal leaders, seeing spiritual leaders, seeing faith leaders of all kinds, meeting grassroots organizations, community people. We're, we're, we're coming on this convoy in a good way, gathering all the prayers and blessings because people know that people do know that it affects them as a whole. It affects this whole country. And so um, it's been an amazing journey. Like my sister has shared all the stops that we've had, we've reached so far. But it's not easy, you know, because we're fighting this evil. But um, good always prevails. And uh, we're making our way, you know, to Pasadena. Um, like the old, the old way when they used to, we were taught when you go into somebody's territory, you acknowledge them, you ask permission, you ask not just the people, but the deities, those that, the Holy Spirits, the holy people, we ask that we come in, and that's how it should be done, because we're not just fighting a system, we're fighting evil that controls the system. Hello, thank you for the response, and I know the last time when we spoke, uh, we were talking about um, how important uh, what people know as Oak Flat in English, um, but how important this place is, not just to the people, but also surrounding Native American nations, and but also how important this place is to the plant and animal relations that not only live there, but also other relations, the winged and the four-legged that travel to uh, that area and travel through that area as part of their migration patterns and behavioral patterns. And so when we talk about the cultural importance of uh, the living lands and Mother Earth and everything that she sustains for us, uh, can you talk about that a little bit more? Because this project, if approved, is so violent um, in, in so many different ways. That, that is a very, very big question <laughs> and with a really, really big answer. So if I could just kind of touch on a few things. Um, Go ahead. Thank you. Hello. So um, for to understand Oak Flat, you know, for us, it's inherent. You know, we, we grew up going to Oak Flat, praying at Oak Flat, being there in ceremony. Uh, it's how we raise our kids. It's a way of life mm. in this beautiful, beautiful place. And I guess the best way I can explain it is that um, you have to be on the land to feel it. Mm. And, you know, there's a place called Gone Canyon, and it's, you know, one of the places that we do pray at. Um, in this canyon is where they said that our deities, they, they went through. And so our Gone people, um, known as the, the Crown Dancers. And um, in this space, it's hard to explain this feeling, but the best way I can explain it is you can feel the presence of the Creator. You can feel the presence of God, right? It's that sublime feeling. And then that's only in one space. There's also what's called Apache Leap. And, and at Apache Leap, the history of this, this space is that, um, you know, hundreds, over 100 years ago when uh, the, the U.S. Calvary was... Uh, still rounding up those uh, Native people that, you know, hadn't been placed on reservations yet, hadn't been killed off yet. They got the Apache people there, and instead of being captured, the, the people, they, they jumped. So that's where they call it Apache Leap. 
And so all of those things are a factor. And when you hike up to the top of Apache Leap, it's that same feeling. And um, it's um, there you're greeted by all the elements, right? It's a space where you can actually feel the wind and you can hear the birds. And, and the more time that you spend there, the more trust that you develop with, with the environment. You know, you start to hear uh, the animals. Right, they 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 don't stay away the way they always do, and it, it's that kind of connection with the land. It's a space where we can gather our our acorn, our tonkoje. Um, like where it will feed you. You could live there because there's water, there's food, and there's medicine in this space. So it, it's where our ancestors were, and it, we know that it's where they congregated because it's not just. Um, um, the sites that are there aren't just the the Apache sites. There's awesome sites. It, 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 it's a beautiful, beautiful place that gives life. Mm. And, um, you know, we conduct ceremony there. There's so many different um, ways to, to explain that connection. But, you know, it, it's a space where if you have not been there before, you need to come. And I say that because, you know, we have this foreign mining company that is... is you know, doing everything they can to destroy this space. It will be a huge um, hole, big enough to fit the Eiffel Tower. Um, it, it's just a, it's a beautiful space. Um, so that's a little bit of justice I can do to the space. Um, my sister will share as well. Um, no, it, it's, um, uh, you know, it's not just devastation to, to the people, but you're right, you know, so what we are taught as indigenous people, you know, is that creator, you'll send God, created all living things. And that's what that threat. Um, you see resolution copper dewaterizing. You see the effects that are happening to our chill, ch our, ch our acorn, the, the trees. You see, you know, the coloration seems dull, but mm. it's, um, they're like, everything is just like, you see the what it, they say. Oh, resolution copper says. Oh, it's not going to affect have any effect on the Oprah parasol until um, forty to sixty years, which uh, we see it now. You know, our father he's been living there for almost three years now, mm -hmm. and he's he's noticed and has talked to us and documented. You know, the, the effects that are happening and that what he's witnessing, but. And that's what you know. That's what we're praying about. It's just not the, the the us as humans and the joy that we give to it, but we also know that from the tiniest rock to the birds that are flying to the plants, the trees, the grass, the animals that live there is all alive. And that's what we're fighting for, also, because we we need to be that voice for it. And um, you know, when you talk about other tribes there, Opad has been such a historic, significant area for all people. That There was a point of trade from all different nations, and that's where the point, that was where our meeting point was at, was at Opad, so that our indigenous people, the, the different tribes that would come in and, and trade with one another as they went to Mexico, to Mexico, all the way up to the northern part of the states. I mean, it, it has a lot of cultural and historic significant there and that's important because if we don't know our our past we will never have a future and and, and that's for all people you know 
um, that's what ties us. That's what ties us to family. That's what ties us to our religion, our spirituality, our culture, the land. We we need to have that tie. My grandmother said it's like a tree. They're the roots. Mm-hmm. And as we grow, we become branches. And then, you know, for women, you know, we're fruitful. And if it, when a fruit falls and it creates a new a new tree, we become that stem. We become that root. Then we grow in our family. That's how how it should be, you know. And um, so it's very important of all walks of life. There's no there's no separation because uh, if uh, if Ophad is destroyed or any of our holy holy places, then um, we know that's going to be a huge um, destruction to all walks of life. And you know, right now we're in a huge climate issue, mm. and um, that will set the precedence of of what will happen in Arizona. Right now, there is no reg- uh, no monitoring or, or laws. Um, st- um, that Resolution Copper has to monitor their water. They have un- unlimited access use of water. Wow. Um, once it subsides, um, once the the surface subsides, they're talking about the heat rising anywhere from eight to like ten more ten um, degrees. And in Arizona, we're already, you know, affected by the climate change and the heat. So you're looking at the metropolitan area raising from 120 to, like, 130. I mean, for years, under behind closed doors, we've we've known Phoenix to talk about cooling shelter for the homeless because they're not going to be able to survive, survive the heat wave. I mean, and this is all Resolution Copper is doing. You know, they wanted... They want to disguise it with these words of um, saying that they're working with tribes, that they're, it's for the green um, bill. We're going green. How can you destroy land, continue to destroy land to go green? You know, there's tons of ways of recycling copper and, and the less amount of usage of water, but they don't want to put money into it. They, don't, they want to go the cheapest route. They don't want to put time and effort to recycle all the copper. You know, this is an easy and a lazy way out is to continue to destroy the land. And, and that's the sad part because that affects all people. We won't, I always tell my kids, I'm afraid that we're going to be like um, that book, The Lorax, or the movie, you know. Uh-huh. I was like, that is the future we're heading. If we continue to let corporations make the decisions for, for us and um, our government allow them to, to take over because our government isn't doing anything. They're allowing these these um, big corporations to come in and feed money into their pockets so that they can continue to destroy the land. The gathering is March 21st, 2023. Uh, our folks meeting at Defenders Park at, is at 9 a.m. and then the folks will walk to uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Is that the, the plan? So my understanding is that the Defenders Park is about 600 feet away from the courthouse. Okay. Um, so we do plan to have um, some speakers set up because we don't. We we wish we could get everybody in the courtroom, but they only have so many seats. So what we would like is those that you know truly, you know, need to hear this case. We're going to live stream the case, so um, it'll be also heard live um, at Defenders Park as well. The court case starts at 10 o'clock. Uh, okay. Proceedings start at 10 o'clock. 
Um, and then there will be, you know, some people that um, are able to get in the courthouse as well. But it's at Defenders Park. Uh, there will be a spiritual gathering there. Um, we'll probably be there early and just, you know, trying to get everything ready so everybody will have an opportunity to hear what the United States is, it says about, about religion. Before we get to how listeners can help in protecting Oak Flat, I was wondering if you can share with our listeners what the journey's been like over the past eight years in in helping to defend uh, home, right? What people know as Oak Flat. So, um, you know, this, this is is something that we've we've grown up in. So the journey for us has been very very long. Even longer for, for our parents and those that were fighting before us. But the one thing that I, that I can touch on is that um, what I see is I feel like there's obstacles that, that present themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, in 2015, there was the N, uh, National Defense Authorization Act, um, that midnight rider that, you know, yeah. uh, gave Resolution Copper, you know, the green light. On all, on, on bypassing um, the federal laws that are in place to protect the land, the environment, the religion, all those things, right? right. The water, those, those things. That, that's a huge obstacle. And through prayer, we've been able to get past these obstacles. And, you know, I believe that, you know, sometimes people, we, we, we're human, we, we lose hope, right? But as we go forward, it's been prayer and hope that's been getting us through. And so that's what's so important to take away from what we're doing, because this is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual convoy that we're on. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Leanne Bighorse and Vanessa Nosi on the Apache Stronghold Spiritual Convoy to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to protect Oak Flat. And now back to the interview. You know, people, they, they, they're like, okay, well, you know, well, what do you need from us? We need prayer. You know, we ask that, you know, wherever you are during that time, um, 10 o'clock on Tuesday, that you pray with us because we're going to be there and we're going to be praying. And what we need is really, you know, we never pray to win. We just, we pray for the conscience. So they're that the mind and the heart. So those people make the right choices because we were all gifted with the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. Mm. And it's whether or not we make those right choices. Do we outweigh greed and money and, and, and those kind of things for what is right? So, you know, that that's my thought process when I look at our journey is we have continued to pray, we've continued to have faith and, and have to be hopeful, and that's what's gotten us where we are. Mm. Um, you know, we, we're still an uphill battle, but, you know, we're going to pray because with one door that gets slammed in our face, we find an opportunity through prayer. So that, that's where we are. Oh. I think the other thing, listening to Leanne, you know, is, um, and what we're reminded is that there are so many obstacles set in our way for us to stop, but we didn't. We never gave up. And we've always been persistent in following our faith and our spirituality because this is an important issue. This is an important fight, you know. And um, when I look back at the walks, the marches, the runs, the caravans, 
the meetings, the discussions, you know, um, it took a lot of sacrifice and um, commitment and faith and love to get us to where we're at because when uh, people thought that we were we were going to give up, when they told us that Patrick Stronghold was in a tribal government, when they had Biden, or not Biden, uh, Obama signed the um, NDAA, I mean, all these things that you could think about, you know, that has played out throughout this journey where we could have just drew our hands in, said, okay, we're done, but we did it. And that's what I'm really proud of. I'm really proud of, you know, our father um, sacrificing his whole life for this fight, you know, um, paving that way for us to follow. And what, even though we as a family have sacrificed, he showed us the ultimate love and, and passion for his people and all people and for Nuggle Sun, the earth. And, and that's what we're, we, we, we're taking away from this is that that's how that's important and we want to carry it on because we've had a father set that example for us and we've really been blessed, you know, uh, even to the point that, you know, he's being shot at, he's getting his life threatened, you know, he can't go into certain restaurants um, in the towns. I mean, you know, we've had to really change our life but I know we wouldn't have done it any other way. This is this is who we are. This was, you know, goes back from our ancestors of of being resilient and and fighters and protectors to it going from our grandmother to our father to our parents, you know, to us. And hopefully, we set the example for our children. And, and that's what I think about in this journey. Hello, thank you both so much for sharing your experiences on this journey over the years and in the struggle and helping to defend home, right? Helping defend uh, Oak Flat. And as we wrap up, um, the Ninth Circuit Court uh, uh, case is being held March 21st in Pasadena, California. And for listeners that uh, want to help, uh, are there any other strategies that you can uh, provide listeners to help them protect uh, home, to help them protect this sacred site? Yes. I mean, it's always important to contact your congressional leaders, no matter what state you are. Um, this is federal land. They have, an, they have an opportunity to call, to write letters, but not just them. Flood the phones, flood the emails, flood the, the mail of Tonto National Forest Service. Let them know that the people do not want this. Um, get your, your local leaders, um, state, city, town, um, districts, get them involved. Because at some point, what's happening here in the state of Arizona and out front is going to happen throughout this whole country. I mean, we see it all over. We see all these little fights happening. Look what Biden just did with Alaska. Yep. You know, how this is such a, this is, we're, we're heading down the wrong world road. We need to be, come back to the morals of um, what is right and wrong and what kind of future we're going to leave. We take too much for granted of our natural resources and, and power. I mean, the, the, the things that this country is uh, 
really uh, has embraced. That's not who we are as a people, all people, you know? And so we need our government to start making moral decisions um, for the people. So please contact your congresspeople from state, city, counties, uh, at all level, and contact the Tonto National Forest Service. Tell Neil Ballsworth to stop this because Tonto National Forest has an opportunity to have a voice and, and say, no, we can't do this. Mm. You know, um, always, like my sister said, prayer. Um, have them sponsor Grahava's bill to save Oak Platte. Uh, we're going to need it. So any which way and form that people can help and come with good intentions, you know, we're, we're, we, really, we really need to stay together. What we've learned is that all people, no matter what religion, what race, what nationality that you are, we need to be one drum, one prayer, one circle, because it's going to take us as a whole to, to make a difference in this world. And then if anybody needed to, you know, have more information on, on what we're doing, we are on social media. Um, we are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Our website. Uh, we have a website. Our website is apache-stronghold.com. And that was Liam Bighorse and Vanessa Nosi of the Apache Stronghold speaking on the spiritual convoy to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in protecting Oak Flat. The court will hear the case regarding the land exchange of Oak Flat 2,200 acres in Tonto National Forest in Arizona being transferred to Resolution Copper, where they plan to build and construct the largest open copper and ore mining pit in the world that will permanently desecrate and destroy the sacred site known as Oak Flat. For more information on the Apache Stronghold, you can visit their website, at apache-stronghold.com. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back.
Wounded at Wounded Knee by Redbone here on American Indian Airwaves. In the final segment of today's program here on American Indian Airwaves, we continue with the second part of our interview on the occupation of Wounded Knee, which occurred from February 27th of 1973 to May 8th of 1973. It is the outcome of over 200 members of the American Indian Movement and supporters occupying Wounded Knee in the Lakota Nation in South Dakota and is in response to a call to action from traditional Lakota residents whose civil, human, and treaty rights were constantly being violated by corrupt indigenous and U.S. government officials. The Wounded Knee occupation resulted in a 71-day military standoff with the U.S. government officials and quickly drew domestic and international support from people, organizations, and foreign governments throughout the world. Our guest, Kevin McKernan, was a journalist, and his first beat, if you will, was to cover the 71-day occupation of Wounded Knee. He was there for the entire time, and this is his experience. From Wounded Knee to Standing Rock, A Reporter's Journey. I have a a question, and kind of comes back to your journey out there to Wounded Knee and you were talking about being green and and as a journalist and as a filmmaker, I was wondering if uh, maybe we could speak to to that. And what I'm getting at is um, kind of uh, the media performance and media culture of American society at the time. And how was your lived experience uh, juxtaposition um, to what was happening at the time? So, you know, back then you had... D. Brown's Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee uh, book was extraordinarily, extraordinarily popular, right? You had all these Western films that have been made, you know, from uh, John Ford, Cheyenne Autumns to 64 to uh, Tell Them Willie Boy Was Here, Soldier Blue in 1970, oh. which wasn't even released in, in every state at the time. Little Big Man, right? You had two of the four Billy Jack films um, that were part of uh, American popular culture before uh, uh, Wounded Knee in 73. And and then it doesn't even speak to how, you know, the American mass media journalism profession was covering indigenous issues. And I was wondering if you maybe speak to that and how your film um, is so important given where we've come over the past 50 years? I think, Larry, that the difference um, is how deeply you believe in the concept of of objectivity. And um, in the 70s, there was a lot of talk about objectivity and um, really uh, a denial that uh, subjective response uh, was important 
and that things could be learned that you know from that i could never have learned by objectivity those lessons in wounded knee if i hadn't um had that personal experience mm -hmm. and that's and that's really what i tried to do in the film because i i remember when Buddy Lamont was killed in, in Wounded Knee, in fact, I had, think I had uh, dug um, a little shallow foxhole where, where a federal sniper killed him when he was coming up out of there. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You're listening to part two of this two-part interview with Kevin McKernan on the 50th anniversary of the occupation of Wounded Knee. And now back to the interview. And I remember when the feds opened up the he was the this a vietnam veteran he was in oglala lakota and he'd come home from vietnam to find in his words tyranny on his own reservation and so he joined the he joined the fight his mother agnes lamont was a cook a bia cook mm. and her great uncle and aunt were killed in 1890 in the massacre, you have to remember that there were people still alive on the reservation that I talked to have, who as children had been in, who had survived that massacre in 1890. So this wasn't, this was uh, not that far along. In any case, Agnes Lamont finds her mother was 12 and survived Wounded Knee, 1890, but her aunt and uncle were killed. And here she told me in an NPR interview, she never ever dreamt in her worst nightmare that her son would also be killed at Wounded Knee. And uh, this was because it was, he was a local guy and because he had fought in Vietnam and because, and because of his beliefs, it, it, it really just rocked the reservation. And pressure was put on Dick Wilson and on the federal government to allow the funeral to take place and for him to be buried at, at, at Wounded Knee itself near the mass grave where the two or 300 people were massacred 83 years before. So the roadblocks were open and with vetting and they allowed people to come in. And uh, I remember that they brought so many cakes and cookies that um, we hadn't eaten very much. I had lost 20 pounds on the, I don't know, you might call it the Jenny Craig Wounded Knee Program. And uh, I had, uh, but I ate, ate, you know, I just ate my way through cake and cookies, and then I felt drunk. I was holding on to the side of the building because of the sugar rush. But the thing I, I'm getting to was that when he was buried, you know, his casket was opened and the presence that people gave to him to take to the spirit world were laid on his military uniform and by then he had hair down to his shoulders and he was wearing moccasins beaded moccasins rather than combat boots and razor blades you know uh, deodorant uh, shampoo little parts of candy tobacco offerings were laid on his military uniform and um, it was a really uh, emotional experience for everyone who was there. And there was a woman who had come from Denver to go to, she was a relative of some kind, and she turned to me, you know, people were, had instamatics. You guys might not be old enough to remember them. 
Um, but they were taking pictures with their Instamatics, their little Kodak Instamatics, and and, uh, and I was taking pictures as I had throughout the whole occupation with with my professional camera, and no one had ever asked me to stop shooting those pictures. And this woman said to me, who of course n- maybe never been in one of me, uh, said to me, um, "How much money are you making for?" taking pictures of our dead relative and you know that thing just impaled me uh and i put i put my camera down while everyone else continued clicking and i thought a lot about that moment and how that affected my life and i said to myself over time and months and so afterwards and everything if you really want to be a journalist a photojournalist um you can't put your camera down you have to believe enough in yourself, uh, and that this is an extension of, of that. You, that your heart is clean, and that you're, this is an extension of yourself, and you intend to do good. And so that lesson was kind of overwhelming uh, to me, and it came out of that moment where I was being criticized, and um, I've never, I've never forgotten that. Kevin, like what Larry was talking about and media and the film industry. Um, your film, From Wooden to Standing Rock, A Reporter's Journey, to me it's important because of the fact that what you said, and I think a lot of journalists need to understand, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, that you don't start from on top, but that from below, if you will, from grassroots, listen to the heartbeat, listen to what's going on, and your view of Native people, different civil rights, I thought it was on point, and that the um, uh, this um, film that you created and your experiences, and what I think what for me what Larry's question was, is it important for people to to listen to what you say from below or from the grassroots? Uh, was that your your take on it was for young listeners to reporters and foreign journalists or whatnot. Yes. A lot of them just want to get, you know, the official reports, but not grassroots, not to the people themselves. You know, I know that yes. you, you wrote something about, and you filmed about good Kurds, bad Kurds, and it was a very complicated situation over there. But yet, is that true? Yes, grassroots. Because- yeah, it really is, and I think that the Kurds are good a good example. the The Kurds are the are the children of Native Americans in my in my lifetime, in my learning, and um, in fact, I think there I have a line in in Good Kurds, Bad Kurds, which was a PBS film in the year two thousand, that that says um, the Kurds are so old and their culture is so many thousands of years before other cultures like Turkey and so forth, that um, they are kind of the Native Americans of the Middle East. And uh, so, yes, they're di- they were directly connected in my life. And back to Larry's question about objectivity and, and uh, subjectivity, or at least the way I interpreted the question, uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago, to some extent still today, we talk about um, the importance of objectivity as, as if – you know, you can remove yourself uh, from the picture that you are experiencing. 
And you know, um, that's one thing I, I believe. If I, if I'm remembering this correctly, that Einstein says that you know you are part of what you're seeing, and you change that. You change that. And so I think when reporters parachute in, and uh, the reality they see, they they really should not divorce that from their being there, and how that changes the equation. You know, I think the European press is much more honest in some ways or much more frank than our own because they they have truth in labor truth in labeling. They say this is the liberal press, this is the communist press, this is the conservative press. And here we we just say, well, it's this is the this is what happened, you know. We don't have you can't go to a little kiosk on the street where they have all those different newspapers and say give me you know, give me this or give me that. I mean, we know that some places like the Wall Street Journal and Fox News and all that uh, is conservative. Uh, but at the same time, everyone claims to be objective. That is that this is the unvarnished truth. It's as if somehow you look down on the people you're covering and you kind of remove the top of their skulls and you can see inside what, what the truth is. That's 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 the you know reductio ad absurdum where where that's objectivity you're looking in there and you can see the truth well we can't see the truth we can see our um vantage point on on it perhaps you know and i think that's one thing i became comfortable in in good curds bad curds in my film bringing king to china in the earlier native film, The Spirit of Crazy Horse, which was on Frontline in 1990 on the 100th anniversary of Wounded Knee. In all of those were subjective films where people were saying, you know, this, this is my slice of what I think happened. Uh, it's not the absolute definitive truth. And I think that for journalists, it's very good for them to... Um, to think in those terms, you know, that they're part of what they're reporting. Yeah, Kevin, um, in ending, what do you want to leave with the public, with our listeners at this point? Well, I hope that people will take um, a trip through the movie and to see gradually that these layers uh, of the onion, so to speak, were were you know, unpeeled for me, and that they could do the same sort of thing if they if they choose. Um, maybe not in, in in the same way, of course, but in their own way. That every things are connected. And for me, I didn't learn this stuff overnight. My film is really uh, talking about a lifetime of of education that came to me. That I was so lucky uh, to be welcomed into that culture and first the first thing is is to get is to, is to become aware of these things through reading or writing or watching and then maybe um when you meet someone listening to what they have to say the moment of silence is over <laughs> Thank you.
And that was part two of our two-part interview with Kevin McKernan on his documentary From Wounded Knee to Standing Rock, A Reporter's Journey, as part of our ongoing series on the 50th anniversary of the occupation of Wounded Knee in 1973. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests, Leanne Bighorse, Vanessa Nosy, and Kevin McKernan. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Redbone, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains In a rhythm of resistance We still fight for our lives In this war that never against our fears Try not to become what we've endured Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over